You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, talking about our journeys, the ups, the downs, how we get out of our own ways, how we discovered our passion, talking about all of it, and seeing how we need to claim it for ourselves, our joy, our worth, our visions, our dreams, all of that. My guest today is Katie Brower. She is a powerhouse. She's a former professional snowboarder, had featured in TEDx, Wonderlust, Entrepreneur, Forbes magazine, Origin. I can't, I can't list all the places she's been, <laughs> she's been in. So what Katie's most of her work is about is in empowering yoga instructors and all other sort of like healers, people in the wellness modality to empower them to get their work out there. Because often these people that does come into this work, it's because it transformed their life. So they want to do that for others, but then they can have blocks on asking for money, asking for what they're worth, creating things, putting themselves out there. So I think it's amazing work that she does in empowering these people that do want to help and support and transform others. Of course, there is going to be so many good tidbits for you, whether you're an entrepreneur of any type or not with every conversation, right? I think that we can find ways and things to apply to our own life. So let's get into this one with Katie. So I am going to start with you, where what I don't actually know about, but I remember something to do with the Olympics or snowboarding or was there? Was that you? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, it was all a dream. <laughs> I've known Katie for years, but like, it's fun to do these interviews because I'm like, I just am like plugging together tidbits that I remember about people or have heard. Well, isn't that so fascinating? I mean, even in uh, long friendships or even relationships, there's always more. There's so much more. Um, so to answer that question, I never made it to the Olympics. I had a very but you were on the path. I was on the path. I did snowboard professionally for seven years and on the world tour. But I had a lot of injuries and um, they really hijacked that dream of mine to go to the Olympics. Your and injuries hijacked your dream? They did, yeah. And Salt Lake City, 2002, that was sort of my eye was on that Olympics. And unfortunately, I got injured. There was also a kind of a political. I won't say much about that uh, um, in Australia about the the team that was picked. And um, that was a major bummer for me because it was something that I'd been working towards. And uh, simultaneously, my brother also got injured. Was he? He uh, he ended up being a two-time Olympic ski racer, oh. uh, but he was supposed to go to Salt Lake City as well. And so the two of us set out um, that Olympics and... Um, I think I remember there being some long nights of watching uh, reruns of The O.C. (laughs) and Grey's Anatomy while while we were uh, nursing our egos and um, my injury. And you lived in Australia. I, I was born in Australia, yes. This may seem like a ridiculous question, but I was unaware of snow and skiing and snowboarding in Australia. Is it just because I'm there when it's warm? 
Well, you know what? I'm um, very confused at Australia this is known for its beaches, so that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, a lot of people are surprised by the fact that I've been on tour in Australia and through many cities, but I'm like, where are you doing this? Yeah, there is snow. I will say that the mountains are um, more like hills, so they're not they're nothing like over here. Uh, but yes, about six hours south of Sydney. Um, that's where my uh, mom and her family, like her father, uh, had a place down there. So that was sort of where we grew up. But yeah, in sort of southern New South Wales um, and then uh, down in Victoria, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of mountains. That during their winter. Yeah. And the winter season is really short. It's about eight to 10 weeks. And Depending, because the weather is uh, fairly warm there. Sometimes it can be shorter. Sometimes it can be longer. But I have had some of my best days ever on a snowboard in Australia. And I think part of that is knowing the mountain really well um, and then being with people that I love and that I've known forever. You know, it's like the people around us can often make the experience. So you and your brother both got on the path of pursuing competitive snow sports. I don't know if that's what you call them. How did, was you guys shaped to do that? Did one start? How did that happen? You know, my mom, um, she's, she's a mountain girl. Like she grew up skiing. Um, her father um, took them to Europe when her and her siblings were young. And my mom is just like, she just loves skiing. So uh, we were introduced to skiing at a really young age. I think I was like two um, and even before that, I have had actually somatic experiences and remembrance of being in my mom's like backpack. This is highly illegal these days. Um, but and that that felt sense of being on mom's back and her doing short turns down the mountain and like the sound and the remembering. So she was skiing with you like as a as a baby. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. Like mom's like, what? It's a powder day. What's going on? Very much loved skiing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing little... was keeping her away from the mountain. That's right. And so she, you know, there was never any pressure on us as kids. Uh, we were just exposed. And I think um, and my sister as well, she skied competitively for years. Um, and then wow. she sort of made a choice to pursue a different career. Um, and my brother and I, um, yeah, just kind of went for it. So you all yeah. were really immersed. In what order are you in the family? I am the middle child. You're the middle. And so it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, so my older sister. I mean, sister, do you ever feel like, did you have a passion? Or was it more like this is what we do? No. Um, so I, obviously, we all started skiing. And maybe that isn't obvious, right? Because I'm from the land down under where most people think there's not snow. But we, I, I will say that I got to an age where getting my sister's hand-me-down equipment, it made skiing not that fun for me. So I stopped for a while. Oh. Um, and, and then I got this great idea that if I took up snowboarding, I would be able to get my own gear. And oh. so that was what I did. Um, and so I sort of stumbled into snowboarding. But yeah, it was never. It was just something that we kind of did as a family, and something that we all enjoyed. So we're you all happened to be good, and you enjoyed it, so you all kept doing it. Exactly, and uh, we're we're all pretty competitive by nature. I mean, Mom was like a competitive um, tennis player for a period of time, and my dad was a race car driver. So 
we're all just individually competitive. So then being competitive, what was it like? That was probably a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Do you remember, though, your feelings and how you would deal with losing or coming second or like, or did you always win? I don't know anything. Well, so this is so interesting because I um, just recently actually have been in deep reflection about this sort of competitive nature for myself. Obviously, I can't speak for my brother and sister, but I am a recovering perfectionist. And I had an experience and you just now you're in awareness of that. I've always known I've been a perfectionist, but I, I really more recently realized just how intensely it hijacks my joy. So you maybe were aware that you're a perfectionist for a while, but you're like, I'm a perfectionist. This is aw-. like you were like reveling like this is who I am. I'm a perfectionist. I'm fucking awesome. Like, totally. Let me get your shit and my shit together because I'm a perfectionist. Exactly. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and now you're like, maybe this isn't the best yeah, way to keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. So I had this experience recently and I um, was ruminating about it was actually a, another podcast interview that I'd done and I got off and I just immediately went into like being highly self-critical and what was I saying and people are going to judge me and I'm not good enough and I was witnessing myself and I was like wow this energy feels awful and this is totally self-inflicted and why why am I doing this to myself? And it was very reminiscent. Actually, I was thinking about when was the last time I experienced an intense sort of episode <laughs> of uh, self-criticism and perfectionism. And it was when I had done my TEDx talk um, and that went on for months afterwards. And then I went further back and I was like, this is very reminiscent actually of my snowboarding career. And it didn't matter if I won an event or lost an event. I was so critical of my performance. So even if you won, you weren't like, I'm awesome. You were just still criticizing how you could have done it better. Could have done it better. Yeah. And instead of uh, following my impulse, which was to get up and go and work out, and then the next impulse was to get up and check my email, it was like, no, I'm actually going to sit on the cushion and just sit with the discomfort of this criticism. So this and is in the recent yes. realizing and tracing it back. Yeah. So like instead of, yeah, you're saying normally you would just like, all right, well, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go email like, well, there's that. And you're just like, oh, fuck, I think I know to. I'm just going to sit in the shit. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I traced this uh, pattern of behavior back to being seven seven years old. And, you know, my perfectionism, historically speaking, has been very performance oriented and achievement based. And uh, I remember being seven years old and thinking to myself, I got to call the sports director at the school. I need to get the key for the equipment so that I can train on the weekends. And I like created this whole training program. And I'm and thinking- And what sport were you playing at that time? Or At the time, this was for track and field. So I was like a champion in the like 100, 200, 400, high jump, long jump, triple jump. I mean, like freak show on the dance floor. As a seven year Seven old. years old. So I have a four-year-old and I'm like, whoa. And you were like, That's I need to intense. call the trainer. Yeah. So I called this. So I, um, you know, back in those days, there was not this thing called the interweb. 
Uh, so I pulled out the yellow pages. That's like a big book of all the phone numbers. Um, thanks, thanks for yeah. breaking that down for people that <laughs> yeah. don't know. I don't even know if you this guys have the true. yellow pages. No, we do. Yeah. Okay. Well, it would have. Yep. Yellow was for businesses. White was for personal. Oh, okay. It might Perfect. have been the white. It's the same in uh, in Australia. So I thought um, you were breaking it down for like it's been so long ago that we use those things. Yeah. Right. So I, um, yeah, I got the phone number of the school and I organized and I got the keys and that was me. Like I remember. You did it. I did it. Yeah. And I would go up on the weekend <laughs> and train. And now looking back, I'm like, what? Um, wow. I'm, I'm an interesting uh, human. <laughs> <laughs> but in sitting with that, it was uh, really like looking at what was driving that behavior. Yeah. And um, I began to really well up and get pretty emotional. And there was experiences that happened earlier in my life. My parents got divorced and I'm sitting here today thinking, well, wow, I think the story that I made up as a seven-year-old was like, I'm not good enough. And maybe if I was better, that wouldn't have happened. Or maybe, um, my parents would love me more if I was better, if I was good enough. And that really has driven so much in my life. And let me tell you, it's, can I say the F-bomb on the joy? Hi, have you met yeah. me? <laughs> uh, fucking exhausting people. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but this is something that I'm in really big shift around right now, which is very exciting because it's like, oh man, that's a lot of pressure. And I'm 41. It's taken me a while. Granted, that perfectionistic behavior has um, gotten me a lot of results in my life um, and a lot of praise. So in a way, it's sort of like this addictive cycle. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I'm very aware of that I'm really not interested in uh, living the rest of my life like that. And yeah. when I'm motivated to do something, I very much check in with like, okay, why am I doing this and where is it being driven from? And so that's a new shift for you. It's, you know, I, I'll, I'll say that sort of twofold because it's not that I've ever, it's not that I do things like what I do today in my life or really what I've done for the last 20 years in the work that I do. That's motivated from really this pure place of passion yeah. and genuine desire to want to support and help people. Which I've always got and seen in you and we'll talk more about the different yeah. types of work you do. But so, yeah, like, so it's, it starts with a natural passion and wanting to help people and really wanting to serve from a good place. And then it shifts into nitpicking. Oh, that picture, the text needs to be like three millimeters to the left. And it's like, like the, why am I wasting my energy on that BS? That the people that you're trying to serve don't give a fuck about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And nobody would even notice. So, uh, you know, my mantra of the last couple of years has been like done is better than perfect like get over yourself yeah so it's it's working well yeah. I mean I'm in the middle of a launch right now and I'm sitting here doing this podcast interview and um you know I've got a massage yesterday I'm in the chill zone so good it's good. working I know it can be a little bit uncomfortable because I'm more of prone to like, okay, done, just put it out there, even if you don't know exactly what you're doing or saying like, so I've navigated, like people used to ask if I was a perfectionist and I'd be like, no, but I can see where there are areas of my life that, and definitely in my work for sure, that it would show up more as like, no, they're this, but then there would also have to be 
point of letting go. Whereas that I even realized that I knew that in myself. And that's why I went into live sound and not recording. Because live sound, everything has to be good, but it's also like a wild card and you don't know. So it's sort of like you got to do it the best what you can with what you got right now and then it's over. Yeah. Whereas recording, like I was like, I knew I would drive myself insane with editing things and let's do it again because you can keep going and keep going. And I, so I knew I was like, that's not for me. I can't handle that. Oh, I think we might be sisters <laughs> from another mister, really. But like I knew like I can't even put myself into those places where it can be like that. So I'm just going to like I've always sort of been drawn to the more like, oh, okay, free point. And, or, and, but I even like today, it's like I have to push myself out of like, I want to do this thing in the world. And I means I have to reach out to people and tell them. But I can't yet because I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to say it. Right. So I don't I haven't written the perfect email out yet. So I can't send these emails. So then I'm like sitting here, it's been months going by that I'm not doing that thing because I'm not telling people about it because I'm not saying it because it's not perfect. And I was like, I just got to fucking start sending emails and it'll edit as I come. And maybe I'll never hear back from anybody. And maybe I will. But like, when will the perfect email ever get written? Yes. When you're on your deathbed. <laughs> right. It's exhausting. <laughs> you never did that thing because you never wrote the perfect email. <laughs> oh, man. I know that people can relate to this because, and it's such a, this whole conversation around perfectionism, I think is such a valuable one for um, people to hear other people going through uh, similar struggles and really just to normalize. And I think for myself is recognizing the choice and uh, really being aware of the pattern when it shows up. And it sounds like you're aware of your pattern around the email. So what are you going to do? You're going to write the damn email. Yeah. And I was even, this episode will shared later, but I was like sharing on my Instagram stories today though, that I even was like, I'm so tired from this weekend being in LA and having so much fun with my kids. And then I also was like, oh, you know what? I was like, since I have my I Call Bullshit series, I said, I'm calling bullshit on myself right now because I do realize I'm tired from that. But I also feel like I'm feeling a certain energy because I know I'm not doing this thing I want to do because I'm holding myself back because I'm not sending these emails. So I was like, I'm committed to sending three emails before I leave my house today. Love I it. I sent Good job. three emails and two direct messages to some big people that I may never hear back, but I felt better in the doing. But as soon as I wrote it and hit send, I was no longer stuck in. I don't know if I wrote the right thing or said the right thing or if they'll write back. I felt, I always feel better in the doing. So valuable. And I was just like, it's okay. Pressing my website I read it months ago too. And it's same thing like, oh, I still need to go back and I, my story. I don't know if I like my about me, but it's just like, I'm just always like, okay, it's good enough. You put it out there. You can always come back and edit it and change it. Yeah. And it's lived online for months now and I still haven't gone back and edited it. It's yes. fine. Like, the it's world didn't good. end. Like, never. Let's get back to you. So, okay. You were on the path to then be professional snowboarder, injuries, injuries, your dreams, like, or however you worded it. Dude, I'm a dinosaur. That was so long ago. I mean, I, I honestly, I look at what the women are doing now and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my mind is blown. But what I next know from you is being a yoga teacher. So how did that yeah. point get from another point? You know, that um, really was a result of my injuries and a part of cross-training with snowboarding. That was how I was introduced to yoga. And that was over 20 years ago. And I mean, that was like 23 years ago. I mean, saying that, I, I literally feel like a dinosaur. And if you guys could see me right now, I've got this like really sexy boot on my foot meaning I have a broken foot. Um, so my body is not quite what it once was. Um, but I, uh, yeah, you know, got into yoga and 
really after a little while uh, and honestly, in a time of desperation in my life, in my early 20s, sort of popped the lid on uh, what I call the real yoga and really realized how powerful the modality of yoga was for self-healing and self-understanding and um, personal growth. And I was able, it really gave me a framework to um, integrate some of my life's experiences that had been really traumatic emotionally and physically. And uh, I've sort of been down that rabbit hole ever since. And it is just such a satiating conversation that continues to reveal more and more depth. And um, it's like striking gold over and over. Yeah. I When I first started yoga, it was definitely just for a form of exercise. Um, and then I was like hooked immediately. I took a really good class. I was like out of Chicago. I took it at a gym and the, but the teachers were like really good teachers. And I was, and that was the first group fitness class I'd ever done. Cause I was like, I don't know. I don't want to work out with people or whatever. And I was hooked immediately. And I even remember my dad had driven up to Chicago where I was going to college and working as a sound engineer to tell me why my parents were finally getting divorced when I was like graduating from college. Like he wanted, I hadn't even spoken to him for years in my, like in our relationship. He drove in person to tell me, like just showed up at my doorstep and I was, it was a really great conversation. And I go, okay, dad, but it's, you know, Saturday at noon and I go to yoga Saturday at noon because like, it's changing my life and I love you. And can I talk to you? Like, can we talk when I get back? Or, and he was like, I have to throw it. And I was like, okay, well, thank you for everything. But I have to go to this yoga class. I like, love it. It's like 21. And it was like, um, yeah. So for me, and it was like, I got it for my body. And there were so many different mindset shifts. And I don't even know when I like how many blogs got written from like, ahas on the mat. Totally. <laughs> I was like, just like so the awareness powerful. and that. But so you got into yoga. And then how did you then become like, I must teach yoga. You Did know, you know that right away? I mean, prior to the yoga, I had been introduced to Pilates and I'd been a personal trainer in my teens. Like I'd always just sort of been really fascinated by this mind-body connection. And so it was like a very natural, it wasn't ever, I don't really ever remember it being like, oh, I need to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to teach. It was like, I'm doing it and I'm interested in it. And back then it wasn't, there wasn't like the certifications like there is now. It was like I started teaching oh. after doing it for a while and then um, it was kind of backwards um, and doing yeah, a bunch of Yeah, because now it's like everybody, it's a whole thing. Like everybody knows, like there's, I'm sure everybody knows a yoga teacher, I'm guessing. Like in their oh, life yeah. or just in them, especially without Instagram and stuff like that. Now it's like, Oh yeah, yoga teacher, but back yeah. then, yeah, much more rare. Yeah. And but you're so, just like, "Hey, so I know yoga, so I want to teach it." And wasn't you had a certification yeah, and it was, it was just, just like, "Here, this will help you." It was really motivated from like it was doing such profound things for me and my experience of myself and my life and my relationships as it sounds like it was for you. And it I there was just this natural impulse to want to share that, of course, with other people. Um, and that was really where that came from. And then there was definitely after I retired from snowboarding, a, a turning point where I had a uh, quote unquote, a real job and, um, it was like sucking the life out of me. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to pursue the yoga thing as a career. 
and that was it. I mean, do you I've remember never that back. being a hard choice? No. No, you were just like, can't do this. Yeah, I mean, I I had already had a, a lot of experience teaching and I got pulled into um, kind of this corporate job because that's what I thought that I had to do. I mean, that was, and really that was a self-imposed pressure that didn't really come from my parents or anybody else. It was like what I projected that they thought that I was supposed to do and, and uh, it sucked. Uh, and yeah, so it wasn't a hard transition for me. I mean, definitely people, I felt pressure whether that was self-inflicted or not. Or people being like, you're going to do what? You're leaving this good job or with good money or whatever it was. And that was, so there were times when it definitely felt like unsupported from people around me and that it was like, well, this is just a phase. and then it was like, you know, a year and then three and then five and then 10. Um, and then so maybe at the 10 year mark, it was like, everybody was like, okay, like this is your thing. Like, <laughs> thanks. I'm glad you're getting on board. Uh, so yeah, but it, you know, I, I feel so grateful to have had that insight as a youngin in my early twenties to follow my passion and to be able to make a great living doing it. And I still, I mean, I'm so grateful that what day is it? It's Tuesday, middle of the day. Here we are. Hey, it's me, Trisha, taking a brief interruption because I am checking in to see, have you guys downloaded my daily inspiration app yet? It's called Own Your Awesome. You can get it in the Google Play or the Apple App Store. Just pull up the App Store, search Own Your Awesome. It's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to empower your day. You can set a timer, an alert reminder, so that like every day at whatever time you want, 7 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m., you get a message to go check the app and pull a card. But you can come to it at any time. You can swipe through. You can hit favorites. You can easily share from the app. I'm going to hit show me a card right now. I got your energy is oftentimes more powerful than what you say or do. Say what you feel and feel what you say. Hmm, okay, I gotta watch my energy. What am I projecting out in the world? Let me tune in. I'm gonna hit show me card again. I am not a prisoner of my past. Whoa. And if you're like, "Mm, I don't know, those don't really resonate with me. This one says, You are what you believe you are. You can do what you believe you can do. What do you believe about yourself? Damn. It's like, well, duh. But so often we've got these negative stories running around our own mind. I can't do that. That's too hard. Nobody will like it. Whatever. You can do it if you believe you can. What do you believe about yourself? Think about that. (laughs) Go get the app. Own your awesome in the app store. It's only $3.99, guys. That's like less than a coffee or kombucha most of the time. And you have hundreds upon hundreds of thoughts, affirmations, no ads, no other fees. Do it. You got this. And let's get back to the episode. So at one point, then you start to lead teacher trainings. Did you teach other... Yeah, so when I when I finally did do um sort of a more formal training, I remember looking at 
the lead facilitators and just being like, I'm totally doing that. Like I so see myself doing that. And, um, and always in any trainings or workshops that I've ever done my entire life, I've always sort of kept notes of the things that I enjoyed and the things that I would do different and what I'm learning from the mistakes that others are making so that I don't make those same mistakes. And really early on in my teaching, I started curating and creating my own training, which I chipped away on for years that really uh, integrated all of the modalities that I'd studied because I'd done a lot. I'd done extensive travel through Southeast Asia and India and studied biodynamic craniosacral therapy and Pilates and all different types and styles of yoga along with um, this Korean, South Korean modality called sujuk, which is like acupressure and acupuncture of the hands and feet. And I did chini sung, which is a Chinese organ massage. Like I'm just this forever student. And so I was like, I want to really incorporate all of the things that I've learned um, into an experiential based training that gives participants not only the tools to be able to teach a multidimensional class, but also really profoundly transforms their lives and them personally from the inside out through all of those things. So that was, that was that. And then I, I began, um, doing teacher trainings, teaching them in, uh, 2008. And so at that point, where are you at studio wise? And like, you know, was that, you're just at a yoga studio saying, Hey, I know I'm capable of, cause I feel like that's a big thing to be like, Hey, I'm going to teach. Unless you, did you own your stu- a studio at the so time? I, I know have there was a brief owned a studio in the past. Um, so it was kind of like I bounced around. I was in Colorado for several years, and then I went to Florida, and then I got here to California. And when I came out here, even though I had my yoga studio here, it was a pretty small space. So that was not a place that I uh, actually wanted to. And this, it was a one room studio. I didn't want to. From a business standpoint, it wasn't a good idea to run training out of there. So when I began running running the trainings out here in California, I went to a studio down in La Jolla and basically just put together a proposal of essentially, can I rent your space? It, oh, so it wasn't like you were doing it under their name. You were just, I'm going to run my own teacher's training. Yeah, so I bought in my training and um, we had like a collaborative agreement where they took care of all of the marketing and um, that we ran everything through the studio, but it was my training contracted to their studio. So uh, that studio actually is no longer there. Um, They just closed down a few months ago. But you had no relationship with them I had no relationship with them. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You just so found a space that I you found a space. liked. And I honestly, I don't even really remember how that all kind of unfolded. Um, but I taught some classes there for a little bit, like in the lead up to kind of get some exposure to the community. And, and it, was, it was an amazing experience. And then I ended up moving the training up to North County here in San Diego. It was closer to where I lived and um, essentially did the same thing with another studio up here. Wow. Yeah. I think that's interesting to know because I would assume that, yeah, you would just like be affiliated with the studio and do it for them. So I'm, yeah, that's why I was asking you for any other teachers out there yeah, that might so be interested. Yeah, so there's like, there's like, one way 
that's it, it, there's many ways of doing it. And this is actually something that I do now is each year I take 10 to 15 teachers under my wing for a year long mentorship and they actually license my training and I set them up the same way that I did for myself where they oh. take everything and then they find a space or a place. So sometimes uh, they will rent space or sometimes they'll do um, – a affiliate with a studio and then they run their own programs through the studio. So it's really Is cool. that it's part of the program? No, that's it's a separate a different thing. program. Yeah. So I have essentially I have like my 200 hour and 500 hour teacher training certification programs. Then and that's for people to come to get certified to become a yoga teacher. Yes. And they could take that to what other ever studios and say they're a certified yes. yoga teacher. And then I have um, an online program, which is called the Yoga Professional Incubator, and that's a six-month business and leadership training. The Yoga Professional Incubator. Dot com. And in that, what are you doing? In that, we're that's six for months, yoga teachers. That's for yoga teachers that are already teaching, already certified, already certified from you or from anybody. They have yes. a yoga certification. They Anyone. are teaching. Yeah. And we cover in the six-month program, I mean, everything. Essentially, what I did is I boiled down all of the pieces that have contributed to my own success in this field um, to really create a strong foundation for teachers to be able to thrive financially and to make a bigger impact and serve in a bigger way that's more efficient and effective because there's a lot of teachers that are not working smart. And there's a lot of teachers that actually aren't even connected to what is possible and opportunity that's right in front of them that they just need to reorient and adjust to be able to tap into. I think that that's so major because I make up there's so many people out there that get into yoga in a way that we both did. You try it, it ends up changing your life. Like I actually, I'm a certified yoga teacher as well. I never did it in classes, but it was part of me being a touring joyologist that I then led people I was on tour with through yoga as part of their making, healing their lives, healing their day, being able to perform their best on stage and get present. And um, so, but most people, they're changed by yoga. Oh my God, I think I'm going to teach yoga. And that, that a lot of people are coming up from a more of a service place, but then they're not. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I don't think I ever really wanted to pursue yoga in a studio is like, well, what? You just go, you have to have any classes. Do you have to teach in a week to make money? And that seems exhausting. And would I still be passionate about it if I'm doing that? So like that it doesn't seem like a business that is set you up to be able to be comfortably just as a yoga teacher and not like, oh, I do that on the side or this or that. Yeah, it's um a big misconception and that's one of the biggest mistakes that yoga teachers make is like classes is not the way you make money. It's a necessary part of your whole yeah. offering, but it's the fastest way to be burned out and broke. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's what I was like. Cause I then one time was even like, wait, this teacher that I have today, how many cl like classes is she taught today or this week or that? And then the energy then they're bringing in the room, it becomes more like, this is what I have to do. And not like, this is what I'm excited about. Like I've just, this is my fifth class I've taught today. Do you feel like, what are the things most people come to you with? Or like, I know that in your advertising or putting it out there that you're often saying like, you don't have to be like, do people feel like they aren't allowed to make money and be a yoga teacher, like that there's some fear around it. I think block that, that, that 
what does that mean about me that I want to make money and be a yoga teacher? Because I would then think, are people then like, oh, I'm exploiting yoga to make money from it. But like, oh my that's gosh, like, girl. oh, I'm exploiting music because I'm singing it. I'm exploiting whatever it is. Like, oh, you should, you should, some of the trolls on the social, I have had oh. some people comment of like, you're prostituting yoga and you you're know what? prostituting Fuck yoga because you're teaching people uh, that they can make money. You can have a life that is spiritually aligned and financially abundant without selling out or being out of integrity and really sharing the essence of the teachings and and living yoga. I, I think that there definitely there's sort of two camps. There's one camp which is uh, that this goes against the the spiritual nature. Um, and it is very segregated of like, no, in order to live a spiritual life, you need to forego uh, the luxuries, which I totally, I'll take one of your lines, Trisha. I, I call bullshit on that uh, because it's just simply not true. It's not true. You can have both. And, you know, money, oh gosh, I'm like having a mind blank on his name. Oh, um, Dave Ramsey. I was at a Dave Ramsey thing recently and he was like, you know what? Money just makes you more of who you are. So if you're an asshole and you are making tons of money, you're going to be more of an asshole. And if you're a good hearted person and you're making more money, you're going to be a good hearted, generous person. And I've I seen mean, both of those. The people that I hope are making tons of money are the yogis, are the conscious um, human beings on the planet because they're going to do good things right. with that money. It's so true. Then they're giving back or they're putting more money into things that matter or they're teaching more people these things that it's like I do. I can, of course, see. I can always see sides to things. So I can understand that people being like, oh, it's a spiritual, you know, if someone's had some enlightenment from yoga and that's their connection to it, then how dare you make money? But I, But again, by teaching more people that they can teach yoga, something that they love and are passionate about and that they can earn money from it, then you're only empowering them to do their job and to spread the message even more powerfully and in a larger scale. That it's not at all like what you are teaching people and empowering them to do that making money is taking away from it. It's only then giving more people the exposure to the magic of what yoga is and more people in so many different ways and what people connect with and because we all connect with different things and different how yeah. it shows up different teachers different forms of it and I mean any, any person that I've ever spoken to that's done yoga consistently for you know a, a certain period of their lives everybody says the same thing yoga has changed my life so the fact that uh, what I'm really dedicated and committed to is supporting yoga teachers in thriving that is, I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing great work in the world because it's positively impacting and changing lives, and the world needs it. I, it's not going away. So if you're going to be doing it, you might as well be doing it strategically um, and effectively and efficiently to uh, get the most out of it and make the biggest impact. No, totally. And that's also it's if it was like if you think about how I was touched with yoga. So it was because of a gym, which by the way, it was an expensive gym that I went to in the location that I like went to, like I paid money, was exposed to yoga. Like wherever you are, you've likely like spent money to be exposed to yoga because that person was paid, whether they were paid like $10 to class or whatever it is that it's like, yes, money is present everywhere. And I don't think anybody's evil for making money off 
what brings them joy and can create change. Okay. And then you are also, the other thing you then teach yoga teachers how to lead your method of teacher training. That's yeah. That's how yeah. we got down um, and I, it's so just what day are we Tuesday. So just this past weekend, I had um, one of the women that uh, has gone through this process with me. She just launched her teacher training in Columbus, Ohio. And then another woman was just wrapping up her first teacher training. And uh, that is just a huge joy for me to be able to support them and to see them and to give them all of everything that's needed to uh, – be successful in running their own trainings because out there in yoga land, there are some God awful teacher trainings. Honestly, I, I, it bums me out that people are paying money for some of what's out there because it's pretty bad. Um, and you know, bringing the experience that I have and the years and years of refining the training and, uh, my skill in facilitation, it's, it's another thing that, you know, the feedback from people that go through this year long, um, mentorship is just like, I was given everything to succeed. And, and that, that makes me pretty, pretty stoked to see teachers thriving financially from that investment of time and, um, you know, getting out of their own comfort zone and then also positively impacting others. Yeah, that's what I make up that like you're giving them a blueprint on how to do this, but that you're also really empowering them so much to see inside of themselves that I'm capable of not even like leading yoga classes, but I'm capable of leading these other teachers and that I make up those people how inspired and giving them service they want to be because if they're also then teaching not just a class, but teaching other people to be teachers. Because I make up com- yoga world is a very competitive space now. It's so interesting. <laughs> it really, it's like so That's the beautiful thing that yoga that most of us get into for some sort of shift in our bodies to heal body, mind, whatever, and that continues to stay there. I think that because it's such a big business now, which is not a negative thing, so many people love it. So new- there's more clothes, there's retreats, there's this, which is all awesome. But then is there a ton of competitiveness or have you experienced, yeah, like envy or different things from different teachers and studios or other people that teach trainings? Because I think people get, uh, I guess I'm going to say judgmental or picky or they want to not like you or pick on what you're creating, you being anyone, because then that can be like, well, is that, is she in some way saying my way is wrong or not enough because she created her own? Or why are more people going to her yoga class and not mine? So that it then creates people creating self-doubt upon themselves and then some conflict with each other. Yeah, I definitely um, have experienced sort of this undercurrent. I think the source of it for others is like this sense of lack. And I... uh, I, I would consider myself to be an extremely generous human being, um, generous in spirit and otherwise. And I, it has not been often that I've experienced that reciprocal, how do you even say the word? Reciprocal, um, reciprocity. Is that how you say it? Let's just. I'm like, I know where you're going. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, you know, there's, I have compassion for that because it is coming from a place of, of, 
lack, I feel. Yeah. Um, well, that's what not- I was saying that really when we're like being envy or like, it can be like, well, why is she doing that? It's because then we're sort of seeing it as a judgment on ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of, which is, it's a little hypocritical in the yoga world. Yeah. And, and all that is, I think is a reflection of there's wounding there and that's something to look at and there's an invitation there. Um, and so definitely not from a place of judgment, but I, but I have experienced that. And how do you deal with it directly if one of you've experienced it? You know, I would say that the word that comes up for me is like feeling disheartened of like, wow, like you said to my face that you were totally going to support me and that you would do X, Y, and Z. And then your actions haven't followed through with your words. And I'm not going to take that personally. That's really ultimately just a reflection of you. And that's okay. That's where you're at. And um, that's not really something that I want to align with because that's not how I'm operating in the world or the frequency that I'm putting out. And so for me, it's been really important of this quality of discernment and being true to myself and holding myself to a higher standard and kind of marching to the beat of my drum. And there's, there definitely has been people that have emerged as like true collaborators and supporters and colleagues and where it really is like, yes, okay, these are my people. And, um, I definitely have experienced being burned many times. I think partially I'm extremely trusting and I just assume that people are going to show up with the same integrity and, um, I don't know, nature that I do. And then I've learned very quickly of like, oh, bummer. And that's where that quality of disheartened comes in, followed closely by like the compassion. You know, I'm not, I don't tend to be um, an angry person or someone that holds on to stuff. It's and so is that like, like, yeah, the learning. So when you come to that place, you feel you've been burned, the disheartenedness, then you're, how are you able to move to compassion? One, I, in my own experience, it requires more energy to stay in anger. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, you know, yep, I, yep. Um, I wake up every day with a certain number of chips energy chips. And it's like, I'm really, really conscious of the way in which I spend those energy chips and to be angry or resentful or frustrated requires more energy from me than being compassionate. So just reorienting my attention and just this whole notion of like, you know what, swaha into the fire, like done, moving on, um, lesson learned. And it's just, uh, for me where I choose to yeah, no, I just like to ask people about that because it was like, of course, I know how to, but it's just, I just love diving into that because we all navigate hard times and whatever, and whatever careers, path, or whatever, you know. And so, like, how we get from that hard space to the clearer space. And that, yeah, I think the compassion is that's a lot of how I can get through things and just being like, wow, that sucks that they're not showing up in the way that I wanted them to or expected them to or they said they would in whatever way that is or maybe it's just me making up that I assumed that they would or that I do so yeah I show up for them in this way why aren't they doing it for me whatever and so like then remembering the humanness of us all and even if that's like a sucky part that just happened and just like okay then like yeah like knowing that 
a lot of it is their own thing that they're working on and something else is keeping them from being able to show up in the way that you would like them to or they even would like themselves to. Yeah. And yeah. I think always, you know, I always bring it back to myself of like, what's the learning here for me? Like, mm -hmm. did I have an expectation that was unreasonable or yeah. what, what am I taking away from this experience so that I uh, minimize the possibility of this outcome happening again? Um, and that's with everything, right? It always comes yep. back to self. And most of mine are usually like mm, a lot with communication. Did I actually communicate right. clearly what I was yeah, <laughs> wanting totally. or did I just make up that this would happen because that's what I would do or yeah. whatever the situation is? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think just, you know, kind of a last note on that is when you really are able to stand in who you are as a person and stay um, connected to your own truth, there will be other people that rise up to meet you there. And it's not going to be everyone. Yeah. And sometimes it can feel lonely, I think. A little too. bit lonely at times. Yeah. But it's okay because your people are out there and you're yeah. going to find them. Yeah. 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 And I, I like to create that differentiation between like feeling lonely and alone mm -hmm. because for me that's yeah, really true. my you know the the connection to whatever you want to call it the divine or god or universe or whatnot there's definitely times where i feel lonely particularly being an entrepreneur and yeah. kind of walking this path and then it's lonely but i'm not alone because there's always that uh, bigger sense to rest into and when i'm feeling lonely i kind of call myself out on that because i'm like well am i or am i just not reaching out for support or connection or totally. what i need and i know that you and i have chatted about this recently um of being in more connection and accountability buddies for what's going on so that it doesn't feel so lonely being on the entrepreneurial path and you know getting stuck in the back end of active campaign or whatever, Facebook ads and whatnot. Yeah. But even if you're not an entrepreneur, I think that that's too, um, sometimes we are like waiting for people to show up for us or you can, I can feel alone because it doesn't feel like people are there, but people don't know where I am. I'm just hoping someone's going to sweep in and be there for me. You when mean no one has the awareness and, and also like, you know, and so then like it is it's and that's for me has been an evolution over the years um, of reaching out to just be like, hey, like and sometimes it's just like, hey, I know because a lot of my friends now are like, yeah, they run their own businesses. They have kids like there's a lot going on so I can make up. Nobody has enough time for me. And that's not like poor little me. It's like I get it. So nobody probably can say it. But sometimes it's just like texting a friend like, hey, I know you got a lot going on, but I would love a space to talk when you have a minute or like, I'm really feeling down and just like, I put that out there. And then somebody, usually it's like, I get a message immediately. Like, okay, I can make time for you. It's just like, you have to, I, I, you have to, but it's, I have had to just, I have to be really clear and vulnerable and like, just ask for a space. Sometimes I don't want advice. I don't anything. I just need to talk. Hey, I'm not feeling some things. Are, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. So it's just like, Hey, I'm not feeling right right now love to chat. And then, then it's like, okay, they'll make a time or be like, okay, I'm here for you. You know, and just sometimes it's not even getting on the phone, but just like having that I'm here for you or whatever message, but you have, I have to put myself out there. Yes. <laughs> and that's the key. It's, it really is. Cause, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, what, you can't read my mind. Like, <laughs> so yeah, putting it, being able to 
touch in with how you're feeling and and then what the need is and then communicating that three-step process will change your life. Wait, what was the three-step process? So it was like, how am I feeling? What do I need? What action am I going to take to support my needs? This has been my practice, you guys, for Wait, the I'm, last I'm, six that months. That just reminded me there was something you mentioned on Instagram stories a while ago. Of like, I created this something, something. Was that... You were you were like I created some or you were like had some created some formula for yourself to do something and I don't remember maybe I don't know I don't remember if I've what it was that. now I wonder if I but, wrote it down in my but notes. that's uh, that's something that I've really been practicing this past six months in um you know since I sort of had that uh, perfectionism breakthrough is you know what what how am I feeling what do I need and what's the action I'm gonna take to support that need. And in this really fascinating way, I mean, it's kind of comical because it sounds so simple, yet it's been so unbelievably profound. He's like, I'm reparenting myself. And it's been so amazing. Like I have, don't think I've ever been so tender with myself and like deeply listening to myself. I do that with other people all day long. Um, and it really has sort of set in motion this beautiful transformation for me personally. Uh, and my whole nervous system is like different. I, I'm, I'm chill. <laughs> no, it's so important. And that's honestly, that's something uh, because of growing up and have, with chronic pain and the fibromyalgia, then that was something that and that's what I you know, like often say that I had so much physical pain, I couldn't deal with the mental pain. From a very early age, I got tapped into. I'm not, I can tell I definitely have a physical pain, but I feel heavier now. I feel this. Where, what am I feeling? Where did it come from? And, it, and so that's some, a gift from that pain is that I'm so tuned into my body that I then, like today, I was like, hmm, there's a heaviness here. It is exhaustion, but there's also this other thing that's weighing on me. And sometimes I'm be like, I feel weird. What was it? Oh, I got, I read, you know what? I got a text message and they just wrote back K and I'm reading too much into that. Like it's sometimes it can be like that. Like I can tell like, Trisha, why do you feel kind of heavy now? What's your energy? What happened? Oh, I got a text message and I read too much into it and like that. So it's like that I'm so tuned into the, my energy of my body from living with pain for so long. So that was a special gift of the pain. I love that. Okay. I, I, I had written a note to ask you about it. It okay. was difficult conversation oh, framework, yes. which I love because I am, again, because of that physical pain, I was always someone that dove into difficult conversations because I'd feel the heaviness on me and that it, like, it can be hard. It can feel hard to have a difficult conversation, but then otherwise I'm living with all this heaviness and unclarity and yeah. unclarity. Unclarity, that's not the right word. But anyway, so I love difficult conversation. I was like, oh, I wonder if Katie will talk about her difficult conversation yeah, framework. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'll start by saying that, um, you know, this, my own personal commitment to self is to live a life that's in the truth. And the truth for me is when there's a lining up of words, actions with thoughts and feelings. Um, and when there's a lack of alignment in those things from myself or other people, it creates a divide, a great divide and, and connection becomes impossible. Like there's, there's just a big wedge. And so for me, when I am, when I have made a commitment, let's say, when I've said to someone, you know what, I will do X. And then I haven't followed through on that that is taking up energetic space and emotional space and like mind space. 
Um, and so for me, then it is sometimes I will commit to things that like I actually after the fact regret and I'm like, oh shit, I, I can't do that. Like I don't have time or I, I was in the moment and da da da. And so for me, then it's reaching out to them and taking ownership and saying, hey, I said I would commit to this and I actually, I'm going to have to renege that. Or I'm recommitting and this is when it will be done by. When someone, when I've been on the receiving end of that, let's say, and someone has made a promise to me about something and they haven't followed through and I tune into how that makes me feel, and we'll use that as an example, like I'm feeling unimportant, I'm feeling disrespected, I'm feeling whatever. Or if someone's- Naming it, I feel like is so valuable. Yeah. I mean, and that's really the first step. If someone's constantly, chronically late, it's like, okay, there's a difficult conversation that needs to happen for you to be in your truth. So the the framework really is this, and there's four components to, and this is like what I refer to as uh, conscious communication or nonviolent communication, which is like number one is I statement. So owning your own experience. Number two is this ability to actively listen. Yes. And develop this quality of listening and just holding space without fixing, making wrong, giving advice, et cetera. Number three is reflecting back. And that is you know, a statement that would start like this, like it sounds like, or what, what I, I heard you, you say is, is, I learned all this, I learned yeah. this from Cafe Gratitude yeah. Workshop. And, um, and then number four is the actual framework for the conscious conversation, which is tuning into how you feel. So I'll use an example just so that people can relate. So let's use someone that's chronically late. Okay. So um, I have experienced someone being chronically late every time I meet with them. And the feeling that I have is I'm frustrated and I feel like my time is not being valued. And ultimately I'm feeling disrespected. Okay. So I'm aware of how I'm feeling. First thing is you want to make sure that it's a good time to connect with the person. So you're going to want to say like, is there a time that we could carve out to connect or is now a good time? Because if someone's running out the door or they're in the middle of some crisis at work, not a good time to engage in a conversation. When it's a good time to talk, starting with your own experience. So I'm feeling frustrated and I'm feeling honestly like unvalued and disrespected because this is where you're going to insert a fact. So this is black and white. It cannot be argued. It is truth, fact. The last three times that we have made a time to meet, you've shown up 15 to 30 minutes late. So it's very succinct. There's no drama. They can say, yes, I did do that or I didn't do that. Like it's not, it's not arguable. And then the third piece is my request is, so my request is that if we make a time to meet up, that you honor that time commitment and you show up on time. And then the, the person on the receiving end of that request, they then have a choice. They're either going to meet that request or they're not. And if they don't, then I need to make a choice. Is this someone that I want to continue to engage in a relationship with or not? Yeah. And sometimes the answer is, okay, I've communicated my request and you're they still not aware. honoring it. And <laughs> sayonara. Um, you're 
<laughs> no soup for you. But sometimes like that person is not able to work on or fix that yet, but you're aware, but I am now aware of that. So when I'm meeting up with them, then I have the reality that they're likely going to be late. So that's sort of like you've made it clear. You're hoping they're going to work on it, but also and you then could not choose to meet up with them anymore because you can't deal with that or be like, OK, now we're all aware of this. Yeah. Or you could choose to not have the conversation at all. And every time and you so see them. so fucking annoyed and yeah. be like, why are you always late? But you never say anything and you just feel this rage for them. Like, I'm not enough because you don't value me. And there's <laughs> and that is in the field. That's why I'm such an advocate for having difficult conversations, because if it's in the field, the person's feeling your, your yeah, they're irritation. feeling your resentment energy. You're, totally. They're feeling your energy. All right. I know we're like there. I have three questions I ask yes. everybody. Oh, first was I had you choose a huge keychain. Which one did you choose and why? Um, I chose everything is going my way. Um, why did I choose this? Because that's the truth, yo. Uh, that is just how I feel. I feel like uh, there's been some really big shifts that have happened for me recently. And I'm feeling more aligned than I have in a long time. And I feel sort of this flow of energy at my back and a lot of support. And I really feel so just connected to this of like this knowing of like, yep. And it feels, it so, feels good, so good, right? Everything Everything's going, going my way. way. Uh, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels when you might be having a moment where it doesn't feel like everything is going? Oh <laughs> uh, my gosh. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is putting on um, dance music and dancing yeah. with my daughter. Uh, because she loves to dance and she really just brings out this playful side of me and it's just very joyous. Yeah, I love doing that too. Okay, I wrote this thing and I've been asking everybody how to apply it to your own life. What is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Can you see a place in your life to oh, apply yeah, that? Oh yeah, gosh, let me give you an example. I mean, I can change the alternator in a car, but just because I can doesn't mean that I should. I mean, like I have had moments where I'm like, I'm underneath the sink changing the di garbage disposal. And I'm like, just like, let me, let me what just am do I it. doing right now? Um, so, you know, how that, how that has been for me is again, it really is around this um, notion of asking for support, ask and you shall receive. Uh, and that has been looking at places in my business that I don't enjoy. So basically, it sounds like what is easiest for you has been to do all of the things. All of the things. And what is best for you is to maybe hire people that are better at doing that or if it's something you don't enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's been very valuable. I'm very sure. Valuable for sounds me. exhausting. Well, not anymore because <laughs> yeah. I got all this free I, time. I know. Like, it sounds like it could have been exhausting where you were. All right. The name of the podcast is Claim It. What are you claiming for yourself right now? Um, well, I'm just going to bring it back to this. I'm claiming that everything is going everything my way. is going my way. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Trisha. You're welcome. I had more to talk about, but maybe we'll do it again because I know we're short on time today. Part two. Part two coming. <laughs> hope you enjoyed that episode and maybe got some ahas for yourself you can find full show notes links more info at yourjoyologist.com slash podcast and then type in the person's name or you can just search for it there so this one would be yourjoyologist.com slash podcast 
Brower. For more Katie Brower, katiebrower.com. On Instagram, she is katiebrowertransform. Of course, you can find me at yourjoyologist and yourjoyologist.com for all things me. We love, 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 love to hear what you think um, about these episodes, any ahas you had, any insights, any feedback, all of it. So please share the episode, tag us, message us. We're here for you. We love hearing from you. I love hearing from you. And I would really love if you wanted to hit subscribe, rate the show, share it with your friends. And if you do post a review, screenshot that to me and email it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. Podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And each week I pick someone to receive a box full of my inspirational product line. Just like I have everybody pick a keychain. I have mugs, journals, an affirmation duck, magnets, wine glasses, notepads, trying to think of everything I have. (laughs) Lots of goodies to empower and inspire you. And I'm really grateful for you listening. And so I do want to send out some love to you. To review the show, send it to me. Make sure to check out my app in the app store, my products, and follow me online. I love being in community with you. Thank you for listening, for taking this time, spending it with me. I hope again that there are some things that you can take and apply to your own life. And I'd love for you to take this final thought with you through your day. Where can you apply that question that I ask everyone? What is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Think about that. Maybe share it with me on Instagram. Send me a DM. Where can you see what is easiest for you is not what is best for you. All right. Have an awesome day, evening, life. I'm here for you. Own your awesome and claim your joy.